Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Wildlife for You podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Payne, and I am joined here by my one and only best friend and my one and only co-host, Daryl Ratajak. Hey, I see you're remembering the one and only co-host part. <laughs> but needless to say, I, I'm glad you're recognizing finally that we're a team here, pal, because there's there's no replacing either one of us. You're underestimating my ability to do something, I think. <laughs> planning on replacing me you better not anyway should should we jump right into today's show you you reckon we we ought to follow up with what we started talking about last week uh yeah yeah so considering last week we actually uh laid out two options well daryl laid out two options and i got to pick one and only the one um and that was the american bison or bovidae bison bison because we want to make sure everyone knows it's not really a buffalo but um i guess it'd probably be best then if we spent this episode talking about the other topic that we were taunting with yeah and that topic is that topic is the good old mountain goats um and speaking of which you said you had a pretty fun adventure last week oh my gosh Steph. Put it this way, if you thought last week's adventure was cool, wait until you hear what happened to me yesterday. Do I really want to know what happened to you yesterday? Uh, Don't know and don't really care, but I do really want to tell you. (laughs) Speak away. Go ahead. Tell me. Okay. So, you know me where whenever the weekend comes along, I just love hopping in the Jeep and exploring because I'm in a new state, new, new wild adventures await. So I threw my fishing pole in the back of the Jeep and I just headed out. And my plan was to, to find some water to potentially find a, my new fishing spot. And so I was driving around in the middle well, I was in a town, a really small town that was halfway between nowhere and halfway between I'm completely lost. And I loved it because it was beautiful mountain scenes everywhere. And lo and behold, I find this road that appeared to be leading up the mountain. And so I had looked on my Google Maps and everything, and there was an alpine lake that was up there somewhere. And so I figured, you know what, I'm just going to follow this road and go to the top of the mountain and see if I can find a stream or a lake or something where I could potentially wet my line. So I drove up this road and it was a long winding road. And the thing was, it, it was paved at one time, but it was in total disrepair. I hate to say it, but it looked like a Chernobyl like road where you had cracks in the pavement, grass growing up. It, it just didn't look like a well-traveled road. And I'd almost rather be on a gravel road than this falling apart paved road. Needless to say, I get to the top and there was a gate blocking any further travel. Um, apparently there's some private property up there that blocked the road. So decided to turn around and head back down. And so as I'm heading back down the mountain, off to my left, I spied something up on the hill, which I completely missed on my travel up the hill. And it looked like some picket fences. Now, the West is full of fences, but usually all those fences are barbed wire fences. But these look like picket fences. And it appeared to be in the middle of BLM or public property. So decided to pull over and hike up the mountain. And so 
found a little footpath and I was traveling up the mountain to, to this area where I had spotted those picket fences and I came upon a cedar tree. There, there is a bunch of cedar tree. It's kind of a sagebrush area. And I noticed something up in the, up in the, up in the branches. I originally thought it was like a, a grocery bag that got caught up there. And when I got closer, it was, it was a doll, like a little kid's little girl's doll. It was missing a head, which was kind of grotesque, but the, the doll was stuck, stuck up in the branches. And the, the part I forgot to mention is as I was walking up the trail, I heard a couple of girls laughing and it didn't surprise me because I had passed a couple of vehicles that had parked and were apparently camping. So I figured the family was up at the top of the mountain, wherever those picket fences were. So I, I heard those little girls. I didn't think it was their litter job where they left the doll up in the tree because the doll looked kind of old, but I was going to gonna grab it, but I decided not to. And I proceeded up the trail and at the top, I got there and it was, it was really, really weird because what I had found at the top of the mountain was not a fence to keep in animals, but they were picket fences for an old, old cemetery. And there was heads, headstones that they, they, they weren't like dated headstones, but you can see where all the individual graves were. And you can, you can see some of the graves were surrounded by picket fences. It is almost kind of like making a little crib, so to speak. And I was always fascinated by, by these old graveyards that you'd find. And so I was walking around there and it was kind of eerie because there was trinkets of like little dolls and stuffed animals. And you can see by the size of them, they were, a lot of them were small children. And so as I'm walking around, it was kind of creepy with, with the doll stuff. And I'm walking around, walking around and said, where are those little girls <laughs> that I heard so crisp and so clearly? And lo and behold, there was no family up there. I was all by myself, could not find anything. And so I kept walking around. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of, kind of weird, kind of Blair witchy, spooky kind of thing. <laughs> So I headed back down the mountain, didn't stick around there too long and got back to the Jeep and I went down the hill so I could get a little bit more cell service. And on the way, I did pass a sign that said the it's either Mercur or Mercer Cemetery. And when I looked it up, it is amongst one of the most haunted places in the nation. Nice. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so it was the, the funny thing is when I originally saw that little baby doll up in the tree, I was going to pick it up thinking someone littered. I will tell you, Steph, if I would have brought that thing home and it was sitting in my garage now, <laughs> I would have to burn down my garage. <laughs> anyway, my, my, my travel. My travels up into the hills yesterday, usually it's so relaxing and, and really fun and get to see and find new things. But I, I really hope I never discover anything like that again. So if you ever head out to Utah and you want to go see that place. No. Uh, 
Oh, because I, I would give you coordinates and point towards the mountain, but I'm not going back up there. So. Oh, my God. You know, so you, you, I mean, you've been my best friend for like, you know, double digits. So, you, you know, my phobia, right, is besides insects is dolls. No, I did not know that. Oh, oh my, my God. God. You said headless doll. And I'm ready to run now, and I'm states away from you. And I was just like, uh-uh, nope, I'm out the second that that happened. Well, I, I've been I've been waiting to share that story with you. I've got some photos that I will send you that... Nope. Yeah. It, Not anyway. good. Okay, so so that was my story. Much, much more exciting than my previous story. But if you want to read more, I put it on... Uh, my my Facebook page, good old book of faces. So if you want to catch the whole story and see photographs of my adventure, you're welcome to do it. Okay, so I guess then we're gonna jump into today's topic and start talking about mountain ghosts. Uh, no, no, no! I am completely done talking about mountain ghosts. <laughs> God, I oh. If this is gonna don't send me a picture of some creepy headless doll or our friendship will be in question. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Not only was there a headless doll, but one of the grave sites had the head. You're <laughs> not was, helping yourself here. <laughs> which you, you know how you always see those those creepy photographs where it's missing an eyeball or it's cracked and uh-huh. <laughs> Oh gosh, you got to see this place. <laughs> no, I'm good. So, so, so actually, back, folks, go ahead, Daryl. It was it was back. The, the cemetery dates back to the late 1800s, and the, there's a lot of history to it. But when I when I saw that it's known for paranormal activity and voices, <laughs> I couldn't drive fast enough away from it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so the logical human in me wants to say that because of that, that, you know, that notoriety that somebody has staged the dolls and things, obviously, but the the little girls laughing, I, I got nothing for that. I am freaked out by dolls on a good day. And I mean, wholly intact, you know, normal looking dolls in normal situations. So yeah, no, I'm out. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm out too. So I, okay. I crossed that canyon off my list. <laughs> Yeah, but there was a really cool canyon next to it that was absolutely gorgeous. I'll go there, but not that other canyon. All right. So, wow. Mountain okay. Ghosts. So, folks. So today we're actually we're not talking about mountain ghosts. Um, we're actually talking about mountain goats, as in Oriamnus americanus. So that's something that Daryl a couple weeks ago had a not quite so creepy uh, story about. But we're talking about you know kind of like I guess. Three billy goats gruff. Were those actually mountain goats in that story? I uh, doubt it. Don't really know. But you know what I'm talking about. So it worked. We're talking <laughs> about those those brilliantly white, shaggy, bearded things with the little but not to be underestimated horns. Yeah, I would tell you right now, I would much rather talk about those things than the mountain ghosts. So, all right, let's get this party started. I, I know that you're into the whole basic biology and descriptions of them because you do it so, so very well. So why don't you get started with, with talking about them there? Uh, sure. So mountain goats, they're, they're white. They have shaggy hair. They're found in mountains. 
Yeah, nice try, wise guy. A little more detail, please. <laughs> what are you going to do if one day I just say no and I kick that back to you? You know what? Never mind. Never mind. I don't even need to know. So mountain goats. Um, as I alluded the last episode, mountain goats are endemic to certain parts of the northwestern part of the United States, specifically like the Rocky Mountain um, and Cascade Mountain regions. Uh, it's kind of interesting. British Columbia actually has something like half of the world's population of mountain goats. So there is a ton of them there. But as their name implies, these guys like alpine and subalpine regions. But going against what their name implies, these guys aren't members of the Capra genus. Um, that's the, the genus that other goats generally belong to, even including like wild goats. So these guys, mountain goats, they're actually more closely related to a, a chamois, which is like this goat antelope looking little dude over uh, in, in the European uh, region. Anyway, so like dwarves, both males and females do have beards. Um, both genders also have horns, uh, which do have the annual growth rings that a lot of people are kind of familiar with, with seeing kind of the, oh, I don't even know, the, the ridged kind of look that a lot of horns have on goats. Um, because they like it cold, they do like to have their fur to match that. So they sport this very dense wool um, undercoat that's covered by an outer layer of long hollow hairs, like the polar bear has hollow, hollow hairs for insulation. These guys as well, they, they have long hollow hairs on the outer side. The, the thing I think that most people underestimate about mountain goats is their size. A lot of people think goat and they're thinking of kind of the normal sized goat that, that you see in a, a farmyard. But with these guys, the male actually stands around three foot tall at the shoulders and they can weigh over 300 pounds. So, you know, a, a lot of guys, they, they, they just really, they underestimate the, the size of, of a mountain goat because they're far away, you know, they just don't look as, as big as they actually are. Um, I'm getting a little bit of echo, just so you know, D. But anyway, so another another nifty thing about these guys is when you're looking at them, if you've ever watched a mountain goat on a video, for example, climbing up a ridge, they can climb some seriously steep ridge lines. And they can do that because they have these these really wonderful hooves. Um, you know, a goat's their, their hooves are cloven, meaning that there's kind of two. And so that means that they can spread them apart. So it's not just this kind of solid mass like you'd see with a horse's hoof, it can actually spread apart. So that um, gives it a little more flexibility. And then in addition to that, each hoof has an inner pad, which helps with traction. So as an added benefit though, their te uh, the, the tips of their hooves, they actually have this really sharp dew claw. So if they do jump and their hoof spreads apart and they've got that kind of padded area to help with the traction and they still get a little bit of slippage, that dew claw actually can help grip there and keep them from falling. See, this is why I have you do the explanation. You do such a good job of that. You know what? Anyway, um, j just sticking with your description of the hoof, I, I recently had a chance to feel the hooves and you, you described it perfectly because they have this hard outer ridge. And then if you take your thumb, you could kind of push in in the middle. It's really, it's really neat to feel their hooves. Anyway. Uh, Stephanie did start off by mentioning my trip last week that I took to what I call, well, many people call the high peaks of the Uinta Mountains. Now, the Uintas, this is a mountain range in eastern Utah, and they see peaks of 12,000 to 13,000 feet. So they're really, really big mountains. 
And the cool thing is they have a pretty sizable herd of mountain goats, which are introduced, as Steph said. Anyway, I was fortunate to see about 30 of them, 30 of those goats on my trip. And I wish I could tell you what these guys look like up close and personal, but I can't because I was literally viewing them from about a thousand yards with a high powered scope, not, not, not on a gun, but a spotting scope. And so I will tell you what folks, these animals inhabit some pretty serious cliffs. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, they're, they're known for being an alpine or subalpine species. So if you want to get up close to them, you're going to have to get up pretty high. Yeah. And that's not too conducive for fat out of shape old guys like me. <laughs> oh, don't say that D after all, you're not that old. You left out a couple other things that I'm hopefully not, but anyway, I'll remember that. I was just going by the last one, which was the only one that, that stuck in my mind. Sorry. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You didn't <laughs> conveniently leave the others off. I would never do that. Anyway, so those alpine conditions are one of the main reasons why their historic range is what it actually is. And what is that? You weren't really paying attention to me earlier, right? Like, do all men just tune women out when they speak? I'm sorry, what you say? <laughs> funny man so as as i mentioned they were pretty much um, just found in the northern rockies most of the range is on like the western coast of canada but it does dip down into like washington oregon and even a little bit of eastern idaho and western montana um, originally with their original historic range yeah and th- that's a great description of, of where they were originally found so what did humans do in their infinite wisdom they decided, hey, these mountains look really, really good as goat habitat. So why don't we release some mountain goats here? So unfortunately, folks, now we have numerous herds in locations in states that didn't historically have mountain goats. And that's exactly what that situation is in Utah, as well as Idaho and Wyoming and Nevada and South Dakota, and even in the Olympic range in Washington. And now for the most part, those releases haven't really resulted in too many negative consequences, but in some instances they really have. So take, for example, what's going on in the Tetons. Hey, can I jump in here for a second and add something? You always seem to. (laughs) Well, good. Thank you. (laughs) Just so everyone knows, some of these species that have been released by state wildlife agencies We want everyone to keep in mind that those agencies and those biologists, they were acting in good faith. Because decades ago, that's kind of what the leading science was suggesting. You have to remember that there were countless species that were eradicated or extirpated, locally extinct. And wildlife agencies, for many decades, they were focused on returning animals to the landscape. So anyway, just like we always say that hindsight is twenty twenty, and for the most part it is, I just don't want people to think that agencies were acting out of negligence, like they were doing things that they knew were wrong, because at that point they didn't know they were wrong. So we now know that putting non-native species into an area, it's usually not a really good idea. 
idea. There, there we go. <laughs> anyway, so going back to, sorry, what? No, no. Now there's two okay. words that you'll you'll criticize me besides car. That, there we go. So anyway, going back to that Teton situation, biologists in the 1960s actually released mountain goats into the Snake River Range in Idaho. Like Daryl said, you know, they were found um, in little bits of the, the like the northern part of Idaho, but they weren't known to exist in the Snake River Range. Um, but the habitat, like Daryl said, they looked around and like, yeah, habitat looks pretty darn similar. Um, but needless to say, the mountain goats when they were brought in, they, they did pretty well, you know, they actually, they, they began expanding and then they ended up heading south. And by the 1980s, we actually found them in the Tetons. Which is not in Idaho. <laughs> so they, they wandered south. Um, the Tetons, most of them are, well, there might be a little bit in Idaho, but uh, the vast majority of the Tetons are found in Wyoming. And just so everyone knows, I would imagine, Steph, that the Tetons historically did not have any mountain goats. That is correct, which is why you mentioned a second ago about Wyoming being on that introduced state. And the problem with goats migrating to the Tetons is that they ended up smack dab in the middle of a couple of native bighorn sheep populations. So not only did this new non-native animal begin competing and largely out competing with the native bighorns for groceries, but they also increase the likelihood of disease transmissions. Can, can I explain a little bit about that? Oh yeah, go ahead. So disease is a really, really big issue with bighorn sheep. They are very susceptible to this bacterial disease. It's Mycoplasma ovis something or day, <laughs> but it's as easy for you to say. Yeah, I I get tongue tied with normal words, and so disease words are even worse. Anyway, it's this bacterial disease that's it evolved the the this strain of bacterial or this strain of uh, pneumonia evolved in the old world. We're talking Europe, Asia. And that's, that's where that bacterium kind of came about. And so when it was brought over to, quote unquote, the New World or North America, the animals over here did not do well with it. They literally picked up this bacteria and it started infecting them with pneumonia and they began dying. And it's really, really impactful to bighorn sheep. Sheep, I, I hope everyone knows, Sheep and goats are really, really closely related. Now, the good thing is this bacteria doesn't really affect the goats from a disease standpoint. It, it does not cause the mortality or the reduced um, reproductive success. But the goats, being so closely related, can pick up that disease and carry it. So now if those goats are in the same area as those bighorn sheep, if they commingle, if they get close to each other, they can then pass this bacterial disease onto the bighorn sheep. And if the bighorn sheep get it, they're extremely susceptible to it. And it causes, it could literally cause a population to crash, to crash because it really reduces and, and literally stops all form of, not reproduction, but the, the, the use that, um, 
the the babies that are born. See, I am tongue-tied already. Anyway, the, the bighorn sheep cannot reproduce successfully. And unfortunately, a lot of the populations will blink out if that disease is introduced. And the mountain goats yeah. pose that problem of introducing that disease to them. Yep. So needless to say, you know, the mountain go goats, between that and, again, just the, the out-competing for the local groceries, we're beginning to impact the bighorn sheep. So now fast forward 30 years and people are starting to look around and say, oh, crap, you know, now our native bighorn sheep are in peril because of the mountain goat. We better do something about it. And as you can imagine, Steph, that unfortunately leads to a really, really, really unpopular decision, which is pretty much to cull or lethally, lethally remove the mountain goats. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a really sticky and, and controversial topic. Um, and I would say just in certain parts of the country, but but honestly, there's a lot of people that don't live in certain areas that maybe visit them that are also having strong feelings about it because people love both the bighorn sheep and people love both, you know, the mountain goat. But you have to understand there's there's a native versus non-native argument that has to come to play. Yeah. And I hate to say it, and I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but when it comes to managing a species, whenever you lethally manage a species, the, the big charismatic megafauna, those big animals that people are more familiar with, that it seems like the public tends to care more than if it's a smaller, it, it, for example, if it's an insect, people are like, I don't care, wipe them out. But a species is a species is a species. And so it's it's just one of those public perception types of things. And it, it just really creates some very difficult situations for trying to manage manage the, the ecosystem in that part of the country. Or yeah. literally. Anywhere. So yeah. anyway, I know since we've been talking about mountain goats, you've probably been bottling in something. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more specifically about how cute and tame and innocent and lovable these alpine creatures are. So is there any story you particularly want to share about these super, super gentle beings? Oh, nice way to set me up there, G. Yeah. If you saw the look on my face right now, you'd cringe. I promise you that. <laughs> anyway, I found it really interesting. Um, in, in wildlife human attack response training that more often than not, actually the vast majority of the time, we're focused on like grizzlies and black bears and mountain lions and all these apex predator animals. Um, after all, a lot of people understand the propensity of these animals to occasionally become dangerous at times. I mean, it's an apex predator, big teeth, big claws, right? We are kind of, you know, evolutionarily ingrained to fear those things. But lo and behold, they aren't the only ones who are dangerous. Um, in fact, I would say they're probably not as dangerous as a lot of the other ones simply because of our attitudes. But I have to say a lot of people probably would have never thunk a mountain goat would be featured in one of my main case studies that I've used in wildlife human attack response training. Oh, so are we going to get an episode of like when Billy goats attack? I'm thinking it's more like when when Billy goats would go bad. Oh, cool. I want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's that's exactly what I mean. 
Um, now I do, I do want everybody to, to keep in mind, this is truly a sad story because it affected the lives of many people. Um, and the reason why I'm telling you this is because I, I don't want people to drop their guard. Like I was just mentioning kind of a second ago, a lot of people get around certain animals and they think that there are these large lovable looking creatures. And, and I'm not even just calling, you know, a lot of people think the same thing about bears, honestly, but a lot of people look at, you know, goats um, and bison, bison and deer. Yeah. yeah. And they automatically think that they're just these big, you know, domesticated livestock that they could just walk up to and, you know, snuggle bunny or take a selfie or do what they want. Um, but we have to, we have to get everybody to understand that a wild animal is just that they are wild and they're very unpredictable and they, they, they can do what they want. You know, they, they can turn in a split second and it can go very, very poorly. So what Daryl was kind of alluding to in the, the case study that I'm referring to actually happened back in 2010. And this is in the Olympic national park. Um, at that time in 2010, there were around three to 400 mountain goats that were calling the Olympic national park, their home. And again, while many people think that they were native there because, hey, Washington, um, they're not actually indigenous to the Olympics. They were actually introduced in the 1920s as kind of a hunting opportunity at the time. So anyway, in the recent past, so again, we're talking 2010, so we're 12 years ago. So just prior to that, some of the goats began showing signs of human habituation, um, getting used to humans and salt conditioning, which is kind of like food conditioning, but it's very specific to salt. So not only were they no longer acting like these normal, very reclusive mountain goats that didn't want anything to do with people, they were actually approaching people and common travel areas. Um, and then within just a few years of that, that behavior starting, the park really started to have their, their hands full. So as the bad behaviors from these goats continued to worsen, the park officials actually started a goat hazing program and they were asking park visitors to do their part by not leaving, you know, salty or, or even sweaty items anywhere where a goat could potentially be tempted to, to go and, and be attracted to that salt. As per normal, some visitors were responsible, but again, as per normal, so many of them uh, were not. Because I'm, I'm, again, I'm sure that a lot of people were kind of enamored by what's often seen as kind of like goofy activity or just nifty to see what the goat's doing. And they really were starting to see these animals as being nothing more than unfenced domestic livestock, you know, nothing to be afraid of. And like I said, we know how bad those situations can get. So park officials realizing this is getting worse still, they started what, uh, what's called aversive conditioning. So that's kind of, um, negative attention, I guess you could say. So they start shooting the goats with things like paintballs and non-lethal firecracker rounds to scare them or beanbag rounds that, you know, they hurt, but they're definitely not lethal. And just other types of hazing because they're trying to persuade these goats to stay away from people. That's the whole point of everything that they were doing. And as the complaints continued to still roll in, the park actually said, okay, look, we're going to have to start warning our visitors. So they started giving out verbal warnings and then they started posting like the signs you see at the front of a trailhead on an information board everywhere that they could manage um, to warn people about the goat behavior. Um, now I will say they didn't let back on their hazing program, but they started to focus that aversive conditioning on a few areas where there was some 
really noteworthy complaints that had started coming in. So again, rather than general hazing, where they're just taking on every single goat that they, they find uh, near people, they're really starting to ramp up efforts on a couple of their major goat problems. So they started doing that again in, in early 2010, they started realizing we've got some issues and they started discussing their management responses and you know they started coordinating that hazing. By July of that year, they had actually requested some options with local parks and, and uh, forested areas near them and actually asked, you know, hey, we, get, we, got some, we got some bad goats here. Are you guys willing to take them because you don't have as high um, visitation uh, in your park or you might have, you know, just more remote setting for these goats to go to? So they really started looking for different things to do because the hazing wasn't working. The people, you know, were still complaining. And it, by August and September of 2010, there was actually reports coming in that the goats were acting so aggressively, they were literally preventing hikers from being able to pass by. I mean, so they're literally, they've gotten to the point where they're stopping you until you give them what they want. So a bag of chips, uh, you know, a salty bandana that's been around your sweaty forehead in August, that kind of thing. So can anyway. I, can I ask, or uh, just paint a picture for everyone? We, we were talking about these goats inhabiting like high alpine cliffs. You, you have to understand when you're hiking in the mountain, like way up high, a lot of times these trails, you, you don't have much leeway to step to the left or to the right because you might be dropping down a uh, hundred feet off a cliff. So man, I, I, you painted the picture of the, the mountain goat kind of like saying, Hey, I'm going to block your path until, until you give me what I want. That, that, that can be pretty scary because sometimes you don't really have anywhere to turn on some of those, those high Alpine trails. So yeah. sorry, just want to throw that in. No, that's okay. And like I said, these are the habituated salt condition goats. So they're, they're not afraid of people. They know exactly what they want. They know that what they want comes from people. So, you know, it's, it's just a recipe yeah. right there. That's, that's, about to be bad. So anyway, in October of that year, so I went from early um, 2010 and now I've gotten us in past August and September. So in October, there's a man named Richard Boardman and he went out hiking with um, his wife and a friend of hers and they stopped for uh, lunch at an overlook. So while they're, they're sitting there just minding their own business, eating their lunch, talking and, you know, and enjoying the scenery, a very large mountain goat started kind of acting aggressively towards them. Um, so, you know, they, they go back over to the trail and the, the, the man, Bob, Bob urged his wife and her friend, Hey, go ahead. And you guys, you guys start heading back down the trail. I'm going to try to distract this goat to keep it from noticing you guys, but I'm, I'm going to try to scare it off. You know, he's got a few things with him. He's got, you know, his hiking stick. So he's got his, um, which is long poles. They look for anybody who's not familiar, they kind of look like the skiing sticks that you use when you're going downhill skiing or cross country skiing. So they've got kind of pointed tips. So he starts banging those together and he's yelling at the goat, you know, and he's, he's trying to keep again, the goat distracted. So his wife and her friend can, can back down the trail, but he's also, you know, look, I'm big, I'm bad. I'm scary. Don't come near me. Um, get away from me, Mr. Goat. So on the way down the trail, um, there's, I guess the, the wife and the friend, they come across a, a local doctor who was also out hiking that, that they knew. And they told the dude, they're like, don't go up the, the trail because Bob's up there right now. 
Um, and he's got this really large mountain goat that's, that's being a bit of a jerk. So at that point, all three, the doctor, um, the wife and her friend, they could actually, because they had gone around a bend, they could look up the trail and actually see Bob with his two walking sticks trying to scare off the goat. And the goat was quite literally, you know, Bob's backing down the trail and the goat's literally stalking at him. The, I think their quote was breathing down his neck, um, mm. trying to trying to, to pressure him to give him what he wanted, which was apparently something he smelled on them that made him think they had some salt. So as the goat's kind of pushing the guy around the corner, um, around the bend to that would have eventually led to the wife and, and the doctor and the friend, they lose sight of him. Um, and right after they lose sight of him, they, they hear a scuffle, they hear things go bad. And at that point, the goat had actually charged Bob. And, you know, like I said, these guys, they've got little horns, but they are not to be like just taken lightly. These are, are still there for good reasons. And they're very rigid and they're very, you know, pointy and it gored him in his thigh. So not long after the, the, goat charged him and, and gored him in his thigh they they hear that like I said and they literally okay well forget what Bob told us to get away we're running back up to try to get to Bob they run back around the up the trail and around that corner and they find Bob and he's laying on the ground and he's bleeding and he's still alive and the goat was standing over him guarding him and not nice. letting anybody else approach so you know they're they're yelling and they're screaming and Bob's obviously in pain and he's making um you know noises as well and they, they can't get to bob and they're trying really hard to get to bob so some other hikers they they heard the commotion they run up they see what's going on and one of them had um, a radio and actually radioed in for help so at that point you know the, the park response and rescue they arrived pretty shortly after the call came in but it took them almost an hour before the rescuers could get to bob because even with the helicopter and such the goat was continuing to stand over him and not let anybody near. And at that point, you know, Bob had been laying motionless for, for quite some time on the ground, but I mean, they were throwing rocks at the goat. Yeah. They're, you know, trying to get the goat scared away with the, the machinery of the helicopter. Long story short, they do finally, after an hour, like I said, they managed to get the, the goat to move away from Mr. Boardman. But by the time they got to him, um, he wasn't responsive. You know, he had, they, they called him, airlifted him to the hospital, but he had exsanguinated. He had bled to death there on, on the trail with everybody there not being able to get to him, but he was pronounced dead there. So, you know, it was, it was one of those bad goats who had been kind of a repeat offender who had that rap sheet of getting worse and worse and worse and not none of the, the hazing or the aversive conditioning working on him. And over the course of, I think it was a total of four years that they had had the rap sheet on this, this goat it just kept getting more and more aggressive until finally this fatality happened. Oh, so man. Yeah. That's, I remember you telling me about that story. Glad, glad you shared. It's a pretty crazy story and it's an awful, terrible story, but it's, it's definitely a lesson in which we could all learn, but think about it again, to try to put things in perspective, if, if you ever go to a farm and you have just regular old farm goats, which everyone loves, thinks they're cute, you ever see where they kind of get it in their mind to charge you? And, and, your been, and, and those so, goats 
I, I, I don't know if you know this, Daryl. I've actually been charged and gored by a domestic goat at my, it was, it was my goat at the time. And how um, much did that goat weigh? That I, I, I would not put that goat a pound over 50 pounds. And I mean, he was probably less than that. I can't tell you that he was easy to pick up, but yeah, he came down. Luckily their, their, their horns are pointed back a little more and he came at me and I mean, he literally was just absolutely coming for, he, he wanted to, to do me harm and their head and their horns are made for just that activity. So it, it was very painful. Um, and it's, yeah, it's scary. So for Christmas, you want goats and dolls? I, no, I, I actually, I don't, I don't hate goats because of that, but I will say that, you know, I, I never want another one. No, but I guess where I was going with that is when that happens, and you can get on YouTube or the internet, and you can look up all sorts of videos where where goats, it's often deemed as playful, where they charge and will like hit someone in the back end or or just charge someone to make them run away. It's a scary thing, and those animals are usually 40, 50, 60 pounds maybe. And you mentioned earlier that a mountain goat, those big billies can sometimes get a couple hundred pounds and so that's um well the the one that um that hit mr boardman um i i'm pretty sure that they at this i have to research it again i am 99 percent sure that the goat that killed mr boardman weighed 370 pounds it was huge because you know the average a, a males get into the over 300 pounds you know that's that's normal but I'm pretty sure that they actually said this was a, a, a very large one and 300, you know, the 370 pound goat learning to threaten park rangers and, and visitors and just not caring. And yeah. it was like you said about the grizzly. He's such a big guy. He's, he's not scared of anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that was a pretty crazy story. And we don't, we don't want this episode to be all about um, crazy unknown fears of ghosts and goats. <laughs> but, but the moral of the story here is it just truly shows how habituation for whatever kind of animal or whatever kind of species, it, it actually makes those animals more dangerous because they no longer fear humans. Most wild animals, when they see a human, they want to get out of Dodge. They want to leave. But if you have this animal that can be a very large animal that's no longer fearful of humans. And they're like, Hey, I'm going to see what this human has. That's where you can get into some really dangerous and scary situations. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. Um, Don't want to scare everyone because that's one of the only goat fatality stories that you have, but just do want to let people know that habituating an animal thinking it's cute when you you feed an animal at a picnic area it's not cute folks it's reckless so anyway yeah and i think a lot of people just don't realize they're taking that moment to have an experience and they're they're doing that selfishly to have a, yes. a you know they personally want to have an experience and they don't realize that 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 experience for them leads to a behavior change in an animal which leads often to the death of that animal um, you know, not, not always, but it's often, it's a death sentence for that animal and they could be, you know, writing a death sentence for somebody else because yeah. it's, it's a piece in the, in a chain that takes 
an animal from being a wild animal to being a public hazard. So, well, we talk about this all the time in our bear safety classes in that when you go camping or backpacking, you you go somewhere in the backcountry and you come to a campsite, you can be the cleanest, most bear wise person in the entire world, but you don't know who came before you. What, mm-hmm. what, what human did to those animals in that area. And so you've always got to be on your guard. So anyway, really, really good lesson there, folks. So Steph, is there, is there anything else you think we need to talk about regarding mountain goats? Mm, No, I don't think so. Anything else we need to talk about mountain goats? (laughs) No, I'm for sure done with that. So what do you say? I'm looking, we're, we're over 40 minutes now, which time flies when you're, when we're having fun, I guess. So what do you say we start wrapping up this episode? Sure. I, um, I, as usual, have zero shout outs, but how about you? Got any shout outs? Yes, I wasn't planning on it. I was kind of counting on you to do a shout out, but since you let me down once again, I'm going to shout out to all the good ghosts out there that keep the bad ghosts at bay. I'm on your side. So uh, if I do plan on going up in the mountains, kind of watch my back. You are so <laughs> weird sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's continue on wrapping this thing up. <laughs> yes, sir. So as always, folks, thank you for, for taking some time out of your busy day. Um, remember to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you always know when we have fresh content out for you. If you're into social media, as Daryl was saying earlier, he is a bit of a Facebook junkie until I can spur that intervention for him. So I do recommend um, interacting with us, or I should say him there. So if you'd like to do that, just get onto Facebook and search for, and of course, follow and like wildlife for you all spelled out. And if you're interested in seeing what's on the schedule for our web courses, go ahead and check out wildlifeforyou.com. And never forget, obviously, that with wildlife, as we were just saying, knowledge, is crucial because your knowledge often means their existence. Bye folks. So you got any jokes for me this time? I don't ever have any good jokes. I've got to start prepping you to like take charge, take, take the lead, but I'm not uh, what do I, Oh, well you're commenting on me being fat, old and out of shape. <laughs> So, I wasn't commenting on you being that old and out of shape. I just forgot to to, to say, no, you're not uh-huh. all of those things. Well, I'll tell you what, what I decided to do to rectify that. Um, you, you know how, you, you know how most people refer to the bathroom in their house as being a John. Yeah. I decided to change, to change the name of my bathroom from a John to a gym. So that way I can say I at least go to the gym four times a day. <laughs> Terrible. All right. Hopefully I can get in better shape to go look at some more mountain goats. So, all right. You have a good one, Steph. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.